Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Welcome. It's great to be in God's house. Isn't it a beautiful day outside? What a wonderful gift from God. What a great day it is. And we're glad that uh, that you are here today as we worship as we are here to worship God together. Uh, we welcome our guests, especially this morning. You are very important to us, and we're glad that you're here and, and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God this morning. Uh, just a few announcements. I'd like to um, uh, remind everyone of our attendance sheets. That's the, uh, the sheet of paper on, on the uh, clipboard on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take it and, and uh, put your name and address and email and telephone number, whatever information you feel comfortable giving to us. Uh, we would appreciate you doing that and checking the appropriate box on there uh, so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. Uh, if you would do that, we would certainly appreciate it. A few things that are coming up we'd like to call to your attention. Uh, our Joy Lunch uh, group will be meeting this week on Tuesday. Um, that's, our, that's for our senior citizens, our senior citizens group, and we'll have lunch together. It's a potluck, a potluck type of thing. And so if you'd like to bring a dish and bring a friend, uh, then we'll have a, have a wonderful time together. And uh, I will be the program, uh, so don't let that, uh, we're going to hopefully have a lot of fun together. Uh, don't let that scare you off. I'm not going to be preaching a sermon or anything like that, but, uh, uh, but it'll be a lot of fun together. So I hope you can come on Tuesday at noon. Uh, also, on September the 19th, we'll be having our church picnic out here in our um, pavilion area. We'll be uh, setting up the tables and uh, having lots of food, and you can look in the in the worship folder there, and you'll see that I think the church is providing the hot dogs and hamburgers, and you can bring the side dishes. And one of the side dishes that we want to kind of emphasize is homemade ice cream. Uh, <laughs> you know, so um, I, let me just plug that, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to plug that. And anything else you can bring as well. And we're going to have games for adults and, and children and uh, and youth, we're going to have some inflatables out there. So this is a great time for, for everyone to come and just to share a time of fellowship. It's also a great time to invite friends to come and, and introduce them to, uh, to our church and to uh, the fun that we have together here. Um, let's see here. Jim and Phyllis, I think, have, a, uh, have something that they need to do. But before you do that, on a personal note, let me say, happy anniversary, Susan. <laughs> Jim and I came of age in the days of rock and roll. Yeah, to all of you young folks out there, we want you to know we actually saw Elvis Presley when he first performed on TV. I even saw him in person once. Well, now that everyone thinks we must be at least 100 years old, <laughs> I want to make the point that we were there at the very beginning of all things that were cool. Yeah, like uh, 57 Chevys, you know, sock ops and jukeboxes and circling drive-in restaurants in your souped-up car. Yes, all those things were the ultimate in cool. But the important point is that we're making here is that the word cool came to mean things that were really great 
sort of like our grandparents used to say it was the bee's knees. And later we had the word rad. And then we had the word bad. But all of these were words for cool. Now today people still use cool in describing something really fun, exciting, and interesting. Exactly. And that is why we've chosen this theme for our Sunday School campaign, which started today with our Sunday School rally. And you'll see the signs up. What's cool at Sunday School? And boy, do we have a lot of cool things here at Community Baptist Church in our Sunday School classes. If you already attend, keep coming. And if you don't attend yet, we extend the invitation to you. Check us out. You won't be disappointed because we're cool. <laughs> Hello. Here we are. We'd like for you to stand and greet one another. We're going to do How Great Is Our God. How great is our God, 
Sing with me how great it is our God. And all will sing how great, how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Amen. Amen. Be seated. We're going to do another song for you here, Tim and I. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, and live. Like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember when you walk, sometimes we fall. So fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry for Jesus. Cry for Jesus, cry for Jesus, and live. Oh, and when the love spills over, and music feels the night, and when you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus. Dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, and live. And with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye, and go in peace and laugh on glory's side. Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, 
fly to Jesus and fly to Jesus fly to Jesus fly to Jesus and Thank you. Come on down, boys and girls. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I have three people here on the front row, but I have an empty rug. Doesn't somebody want to come sit down here on the rug? Okay, I have a question for you. Uh, I brought some games that I want to ask you about. How many of you like to play video games or computer games? Okay. Well, my grandchildren like to play all those kind of games, and they always take them with them, especially if they're going to go for a very long trip in the car. Uh, that gives them something to do and keeps their mom and dad from just going berserk on a long ride. So uh, they brought these games sometimes to my house. Now, these two are pretty simple, and I can do them because they're easy. But some of their games have all those different levels. Do you have a game that you have to be so good to move up to the next level? Yeah. Well, I'm only good at doing them in that first level, but, you know, they're just a little bit bigger than you, and they can move up way more levels than I can. Well, today... I want you to, I want to tell you about a time when Jesus wanted his followers to go to a different level. He wanted to take them up a level. And, um, see, that's, that's what Jesus does in working with us. He wants us to go up to another level in understanding God's laws. Now, Jesus did a lot of teaching and he taught people at many, many different places just wherever he went. But this one particular passage in Matthew that Brother Tim is going to preach on today says that he went up to a mountain, and he went up on this mountain to teach his disciples. And here's a picture, and I'm going to give each of you one of these to take home in color later, of Jesus on the mountain teaching his disciples about God so that they could go to a higher level in their understanding. So here is one, if you'll take it and pass it around. Maggie, would you come get some for your row? And since he was uh, giving these teachings on the mountain, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Brother Tim is starting a series today of sermons for all of the adult people about the Beatitudes, which are the points that Jesus made in this Sermon on the Mount. Remember how I told you that going from a beginner level to another level that's harder, it takes a lot of work to do that? Well, in a similar manner, Jesus wants us to have a better understanding about God's laws. See, God gave some basic laws to Moses, and they're called the Ten Commandments. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? You know, and the Ten Commandments, one of them just says, Thou shalt not kill. Okay, but Jesus took it to another level. 
Jesus took that level and he said that we should love our enemies. So not only not kill, but we should love our enemies. So see, that's, that's a higher level and we're still learning those very valuable truths that Jesus tries to move us from harming to helping, from hating to loving. It's not enough to just put up with each other. You know, that's tolerating. (laughs) Jesus is teaching us to really get along peacefully. So, you know, you may tolerate your brother or sister, but Jesus said that's not enough just to put up with them. He says we have to love. We have to love them. That means even that stinky person at school that just aggravates you. See, not only do you just tolerate them, if you're being like Jesus, you love them. He says, Jesus says many things that are just opposite of what the world teaches us. He says that, you know, he just takes the world and he turns it upside down. He makes statements like that begin with blessed are. And then he surprises us with what follows that. He says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who hated. Blessed are you who changed loving. You are blessed. Jesus teaches that God will lift up the lowest. And the last people shall be first. And the merciful people will have mercy given to them. He moves us beyond just the rules and teaches us that it's the heart of the law to have mercy on people. He teaches us to love one another. Now, I hope as you keep coming to church and you grow in age that you will grow in grace and you will learn to understand more about the Lord Jesus and his words. And blessed are you when you hear and understand the words of God. So let's bow our heads and cry. Dear Lord Jesus, bless these children and help them understand how much you love them. Amen. Thank you. You may go back to your seats.
Please be seated. Dr. Phil said to me during the handshaking time, you, you do remember those 57 Chevys, don't you? And I said, yes, I owned one. So we once were cool, but we're not anymore. <laughs> I'm going to be reading from the message this morning. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds... He climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, when less of you there is more of God and his rule. Let's pray. Dear God, we're grateful for, for this day and for these people. We have learned this morning that uh, the scripture, our Sunday school, can be the first aid for our souls. And we know that prayer is the climate of our souls. Give us strength, give us courage, and help us as we try to minister to you in this community. Amen.
be seated. Please, please, please. Lord, we would please, please let us thank you for all the all the blessings that you give to us every day. Plus this wonderful day and we hope that you will let us take these tithes and offerings to uh, to let us to let us try to fulfill whatever need be in your name, uh, we we pray to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Today we are kicking off our series on the Beatitudes, unlocking the blessings of God. And we're going to spend the next eight Sundays talking about the most powerful teachings of Jesus, which are the Beatitudes. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 contain Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in this passage, in that passage, Jesus spends about 15 or 20 minutes teaching some of the most powerful teachings ever. In fact, many, of the peop- many people believe that these chapters are the very core of everything that Jesus wanted to say. And so if you really want to know the essence of Jesus' teachings, this is a good place to look. But the sermon begins with Jesus' beatitudes or blessings. Jesus utters eight blessings for people who hold a particular attitude or characteristic in their lives. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at each of these eight Beatitudes because these opening statements are the key to unlocking all of Jesus' teachings here in the Sermon on the Mount. They're called Beatitudes because that's the Latin word for for blessing. And all eight of these statements begin with the words, God blesses or blessed are. And so these are the key not only to unlocking what Jesus is teaching, but they are also the key to unlocking a blessed life or happy life. If you get these eight statements, you will have a roadmap to to blessings or happiness. But if you miss these eight statements, you will have a life that is less than God desires for you, and you'll miss out on some wonderful blessings that God has in store for you. Now, here's a secret to the Sermon on the Mount. God wants to bless your life. There's a secret right there. God wants to bless your life, no matter what you've done, or no matter what you've thought, no matter how far away from God you have been, God wants to bless your life. And everything that Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount is about living a life that God can bless. So you see, God wants to bless you. But the question is, will you live a life that God can bless? You see, you can miss out on the blessings of God. And it's not that that God is withholding anything from you. It's just that there are built-in blessings attached to certain behaviors and attitudes And if you are outside of those behaviors and attitudes, then you're missing out on those blessings that are attached to them. But by it is by living according to the teachings of Jesus that you're able to receive the maximum blessings of God. And so for the next eight weeks, we're going to be talking about how to live a blessed life. Today, we're going to look at the first beatitude. So let's read this one together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's talk a little bit about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. A lot of times when we hear this term kingdom of heaven, our minds go immediately to heaven with pearly gates and streets of gold and everyone wearing white robes and strumming harps and things like that. And and that's important, of course, but it's but, but so much of Jesus' teaching had much more to do with life here on earth than it did with life in heaven. 
Jesus' ministry was not so much about getting us into heaven as it was getting heaven into us. So what about this kingdom of heaven as it applies to our life here on earth? Well, here it is. God is in the process of building a spiritual family here on earth. And this family that you and I can join will will far outlast our earthly family because the spiritual family that God is building is called the church. At one point, as a matter of fact, Jesus' family, his real family, his mother and his brothers came to see him while he was teaching and and when his, when his disciples told him that your mother and brothers are outside, his response was, who are my mo- who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He said, those who do the will of my father are my family. Now, we here at Community Baptist Church are one expression of the family of God. But folks, everywhere that the church is gathered this morning in the name of Jesus... That is an expression of God's family. And that's what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. He says time and time again that that God is building a kingdom. And who is the kingdom of heaven? It is everyone who does the will of the Father. Now, here in America, we live in a democracy. And so we may not understand the the full teachings about what it means to follow a king. And even those kings and queens that we know of, like Queen Elizabeth in England, they're largely perfunctory. She doesn't have any real power. But in Jesus' day, the word of the king was law. And in the kingdom of heaven, God is king. God is head of the family, and and you choose to be in the kingdom of God when you choose to follow God. So when you choose to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you're saying, I want to be a part of God's kingdom. Folks, in this life, you're going to serve somebody. It's like when we were born, we were given this invisible crown that we carry around all through our lives, looking for someone to put it on. And and some of us like to wear that crown ourselves. And we like to say, oh, I'm, I'm my own king. I'm the king of my own life. And, and others like to take that crown and give it to someone else. And, and, and we may kowtow to that person and almost worship that person. Maybe an, an idol, a, a, a celebrity or something like that. Others like to put that crown on top of their piggy bank or their bank account. And, and so we have this crown. And we go around looking for a place, looking for people to put it, to wear it. But God designed for that crown to fit one person and one person only. And that's God. And so in this scripture, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he is saying is that when you take that crown and you place it on top of God's head, you're saying, God, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm no longer going to live for my money or my toys or my things. I'm having this coronation service and I'm giving my life to you. Look at that verse again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what he means when he talks about those who are poor in spirit? He's talking about those who recognize 
that they can't do it on their own. And they've come to the point that they need God more than anything else in their lives. And because of that, they have put God in the very first place of their lives. But listen to this. Some people consider Matthew 6, 33. I know I'm jumping ahead here, but that's what I'm going to do during this service, this series, because the Beatitudes speak a lot about what's coming up in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of people consider Matthew 6.33 to be the thesis of the entire Sermon on the Mount. And basically what it says is that if you strive first after God's kingdom and God's righteousness, then everything else you need will be given to you. So in other words, if you give God that crown that you've been carrying around and you let God be your king, then you will be blessed with all that you need. When you say... God, I want to seek your kingdom first and foremost in my life. What you're saying is that, God, I'm realizing that I need you more than anything else. And I I want you to be first place in my life. You are the only king worthy of my allegiance. You're the only king that, that can give me everything that I need. And that's exactly what God promises. So to the poor in spirit... To be poor in the spirit is to acknowledge that that God is first place in your life. But what does it mean to to say that God is first place in our lives? Well, it means a lot of things. We're going to touch on four of those things today. And the first one is that if we are to put God first in our lives, then we need to give God a part of every day of our lives. And what I'm talking about here is a daily devotion. Because after all, how can we really strive after God's kingdom if you don't know what that kingdom's all about? And how can you follow the direction in which God is leading if you never take the time to ask? Setting aside a part of every day specifically for God, where you spend some time reading the Bible and praying is very important in our effort to seek God's kingdom. And we just read the, the first words on the Sermon on the Mount, because, but, it, but it's also very interesting to look at the last words in the Sermon on the Mount. Because you see, referring back to everything that he has just taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, at the end of the sermon, Jesus said, Anyone who listens to my teachings and obeys them is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And then he goes on to say, That the storms and the rain and the wind are going to come, but that house stands firm because it is built on the solid foundation of Jesus' teachings. Then he also says, a fool is someone who hears my words and does not do them. They are like a fool who builds a house on sand. The winds and the rain and the storms come and the house falls. So what Jesus is saying here is that if you hear these things that I've just taught you, and if you listen to them and you make them the foundation of your life, then you have built your life on a foundation that cannot be shaken. However, if you build your house on any other foundation, if you put your crown on anyone or anything else, then you're like the person who builds his house on sand and it might be a beautiful house and it could be an expensive house and it 
an extravagant house. But if you built your house on a foundation that cannot stand, when the problems of life come along, and they will, you'll not be able to weather the storm because your foundation is not strong. Jesus clearly says, make my teachings the foundation of your life. And in order to know Jesus' teachings, we need to spend some time learning from them. So the first commitment that we all need to make in order to build our life on Jesus is to spend some time with Jesus every day. Second thing we need to do in order to put God first in our life is to give God first place in our week. And that's exactly what you're doing right now. Today is Sunday. And according to our calendar, it's the first day of the week. And we celebrate worship on Sunday because that's the day when the Lord rose from the dead. So you're giving this day to God. And I want to ask you today, during the rest of this series, I want to ask you to make a commitment that if at all possible, you make every effort to be here Every Sunday. Here's the deal. Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of heaven. And it's God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is a public kingdom. It's not a private kingdom. I know a lot of people think that the kingdom of God is a lot is is a private matter between you and God. But if you really look at the teachings of Jesus, you'll see that that's not true. You see, Jesus came to create a community of faith. Jesus came to create a family of believers who have bonded themselves together around the idea that we are going to put God's kingdom first in our lives. And so we are to join together publicly and declare that God is our king. Billy Graham used to say that Christians who are not actively involved in the life of a local church remind him of what happens when a A burning coal is removed from a fire. Once the coal is removed, it gradually cools and its flame dies. And that's the importance of what we're doing here today. And with that in mind, it's no wonder that the Bible encourages us in in Hebrews 10 that we should consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. My friends, God's design for Christians from the very beginning is for them to set apart a time to worship together. And you know, there's something about being together in worship that no other spiritual activity can replace. There's something about meeting together that forges us into the community of kingdom seekers that we are. Even from the very early days of the church, they joined together to worship. Look in, in, in Acts 2, uh, at the very, the very first followers of Jesus. Look at what they did. In Acts 2.42, it says that they joined together with the other believers and devoted themselves to four different things. The apostles' teachings, fellowship, sharing in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. This verse gives us four elements of what a public gathering of Christians should be like. The apostles' teachings, that's what we're doing right now. 
This is the, the study of the Bible. And then it says that there's fellowship. And that's when we sing our songs with one another and we encourage one another and we greet one another like we did a few moments ago. And that's what we do when we hang around after church talking to each other. Then it says that they broke bread together. That's about reenacting what Jesus did on, on his last day before he was crucified. It's about what we're going to do in just a few minutes. It was remembering the sacrifice that Christ made through the bread and the cup of communion. And then they prayed for one another. That's when we gather together corporately as a church and we pray. All of these elements make for a great worship. But there's also one other element of, of worship, and, and that is that the church also is a place where you can serve. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, Each of us is given a spiritual gift for the common good. That's the element of service in the church. God has given every one of you some gift, some special ability, some spiritual passion that you are to use in the service of God's church. Now, some of these gifts are very visible. The choir, the music director, the children's director, the deacons. These are very visible roles of the church. Others are behind the scenes. The, the ushers and the greeters, the trustees, the people who brought food for our fellowship cafe this morning. The, the people who prepared the elements for the Lord's Supper. But all of these, all of, all of us can serve and, and all of us can have a part in the service of God through this church. Now, speaking of this, here's the ulterior motive. <laughs> Our nominating team is meeting this afternoon, okay? And you've been asked, you've been handed a, an interest survey to tell us what you may be interested in doing in serving through this church. And you don't have to do what you've always done. You can if you want to, but you don't have to do what you've always done. Sometimes it's good to, to change jobs just for the sake of freshness, but, but it helps this committee to know what you think your gifts are and where you would like to serve because no one can do it all. And it takes all of us working together using our God-given gifts for the common good of God's kingdom. And so here's your challenge now. You be sure you fill that thing out. Okay, you fill that thing out and get it back to the church so that we can the nominating committee can use that to help fill the positions of this church. Third commission or third commitment that you can make to put God first in your life. Is in the area of your finances. And what I'm talking about here is giving God first place with your money. So that you're investing in something eternal and not something that's temporary. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where they will be eaten by moths and get rusty, where thieves can break in and steal it. Store up your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, you can do one of two things with your money. You can invest your money in things that are temporary, or you can invest your money in things that are forever. And there's only one thing that will last forever, my friends, and that is 
the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something about what this passage tells us. It tells us that however you decide to spend your money, this is telling us that what you do with your money is a prime indicator of where your heart is. This passage says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And and that's talking about what's truly important to you. What is it that controls your life? What is it that's most important to you? In fact, let me challenge you that when you get home today, take out your bank statement and take a look at it and, and see what, if you can determine what is really important in your life. But Jesus says that your heart needs to belong to God first. Strive first after God's kingdom and all your needs will be met. And so with that in mind, I want to issue another challenge to you this morning. And I was holding off on this. I was kind of holding off on this um, until we had a definite goal to shoot for. But this fits so well with my topic for today that I'm going to go ahead and maybe get ahead of myself a little bit. But I'm going to go ahead and issue this challenge. As many of you know, we have been in negotiation to purchase three acres of land adjacent to our church. We're still in the process here, and we don't have a a final figure as of yet, but I think we're getting close. Here's my challenge to you. We don't want to go into any debt to purchase that land. We can't. And that means that we have to raise the funds now before we purchase it. And so I want to challenge as many of you as can during these next eight weeks of this series, beginning today, and I got my check first to give an additional $100 a week towards the purchase of that land. Be sure to put on the check or the envelope that it's for the land acquisition fund. But that's my challenge to you today. And I know that that I didn't give you any heads up on this, so if you want to hand me the check after the worship service, you can. (laughs) Feel free to do so. And I know that for some of you, that, that may not even be enough. For some of you, that's throwaway money. And, and, and so you may, may need to make it a, a commitment beyond that, maybe $200 a week or $500 a week. And I know for some, that's going to be just right, that $100 commitment. But I also know that for some, it may be a little overwhelming to think about that. And, and I know our economy is bad, and, and some people are just barely eking by. So maybe it's a commitment of 10 or $20 a week. I don't know. You know what's right for you. But but I want to challenge you to make a commitment to God for an over and beyond contribution every week during this series to show that you are giving God first place in your finances. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 16.23 says that we are to bring our tithes so that we may learn to fear or, or respect the Lord. In other words, so that we can learn how to put God first. And then finally, one more thing. The fourth commitment for putting God first in my life is in the area of my relationships. Now, how do you do that? Well, in two ways. You do it by being open to share the blessings of a kingdom-focused life with those who don't know the blessings of putting God first. And secondly, 
You put God first by spending time with other Christians. Number one, your relationship with other Christians. This is this is what we call fellowship. And we've been emphasizing today before the worship service, we've been emphasizing our Bible study or our Sunday school program this morning. We're going to be doing that for several weeks coming up. And fellowship is is a is one of the main goals of these these groups that meet every Sunday morning. Yes, they, they meet to to study the Bible together. They meet to encourage, to offer encouragement together, and they, they meet to pray together. But the key word here is together. Sharing time together, loving one another, having fun together. This is a way of putting God first in our relationships. So let me encourage you, if you haven't already, to find a Bible study group to get involved with and put God first in your relationships with other Christians. Number two, your relationship with those who don't know the joys of putting God's kingdom first. Both of these come from the second part of what Jesus called the greatest commandment. In fact, Paul said the entire law is summed up in this single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But who's your neighbor? Well, your neighbor is the person sitting next to you. Kind of sound like Mr. Rogers, don't I? Your neighbor is the person sitting next to you. Your neighbor is your co-worker. Your neighbor is the people you go to school with. Your neighbor is the people who live around the corner from you. Your neighbor is the, is the person you buy coffee from every morning. These are your neighbors. Everyone around you is your neighbor. And to live out your life putting God in first place is to say, God, I want to express your love, your love to my neighbors. And you can do that through your Bible study groups. But I also want to challenge you to express your love to those that you don't uh, who don't know the joy of following Jesus. You see, the teachings of Jesus are so special and so important that we need to share those teachings with others. My friends, everyone needs the blessing of God in their lives because Everyone is going to face those winds and those storms and those problems that everybody in life faces. And everyone needs to have that foundation that only Jesus can give. I'm full of challenges today. I want to issue you one more. As we study Jesus' most famous teachings over the next eight weeks, I want to encourage you to invite others to join us. These teachings of Jesus are so important that we should want everyone to know them. So let me urge you to invite people to come with you next week and and every week so that they can know these important teachings of Christ. Will you make these four commitments to put God first in your life? To put God first by spending some time with God each day? To put God first by attending a, a weekly worship service to put God first with your finances and with your relationships with other people simple commitments really serious commitments life changing commitments but God honoring commitments that really show that God has taken first place in your life have you made these kinds of commitments to God 
If not, I hope you'll put God first in your life today so that you and I can live the blessed life that God wants us to live. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who put God first in their lives. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We have come to that portion of our service where we will observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We've been talking about commitments today, and I want to say that these commitments that I've been talking about are not meant to be a burden to you. That's not why God has encouraged us to make these types of commitments in our lives. These are not meant to be a burden to you. And I know that as we hear them, we may think, oh, gosh, that's going to be hard to do. You know, that's not the reason God has put these commitments before you and is asking you to make them. God is asking you to do this for for a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We want to make these commitments in our lives because in doing so, we will be blessed by God. And we want to make these commitments to God because we are thankful for the commitment that God has made to us. And that's what we do in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. We are remembering that commitment that God has made to us. Paul says that, you know, for, a, for somebody who's righteous, every once in a while, somebody might die for that person. If they're a really good person, somebody might die for them. Rarely. But then he said, God loves you so much that Christ would die for us even while we are sinners. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something to be thankful for. And that's something that's worthy of the commitments that we can make in our life. So let us think about that as we observe the Lord's Supper together. All are invited to the table of the Lord. He turns no one away. For God is a welcoming God. He loves us all. And all are invited to partake.
the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and he had broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, after dinner, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, this is the blood of a new covenant. Take and drink. We have commemorated the commitment that Christ has made to us. A commitment of his very life. And it is a commitment that he asks for us to reciprocate by making a commitment to him. And giving our lives to him. And to make him the king of our lives. The commitment that he asks of us is that we strive first after God's kingdom and God's righteousness. But it's a commitment that comes with many great promises. The promises of God's blessing. And that's a wonderful, wonderful promise. The promise of a life that's built on a foundation that will not be shaken when the storms of life come our way. And they will. But with Christ's teachings at our, as our foundation, we can stand against those storms. You may, there may be someone here today who's never made that commitment to Christ. To follow the teachings of Christ and to make those teachings the foundation of your life. There may be someone here today who is still hanging on to that crown and maybe you're trying to wear it yourself. And, and today's the day. Put it in the right place on God's head as you make God the Lord of our lives. Maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to come. If you need to make that commitment today, make it. If you need to unite with this church today, we invite you to do that. If you just need to come and pray, we invite you to do that. We're going to sing together number 478. Seek ye first. Would you come? God, it takes courage to be the people that you've made us to be. Year after year, we add to our experiences of the world. We, we find that we can make certain things happen and we can prevent other things from happening. We can make friends and we can make enemies. We can say yes and we can say no. But God, we confess that we can get so carried away 
that we begin to think that we're in control of our lives until something happens. And in those times, we do what we should do, should do all along. In our brokenness, we turn to you, O oh God. And so we pray today that you would help us as we go from here. Will God be our constant strength? Help us to be vigilant against our arrogance. And help us to constantly be aware of our total dependence upon you. As we seek to be poor in spirit. That you may bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.